So Tom was talking about how the Lord confirmed to him what he was speaking to him in this hour. And um, I, he had sent a text. We were in prayer on Tuesday night, and he quoted the same scriptures that the Lord gave me, you know, to speak. He's so amazing. And you think, well, what I heard the Lord say last Tuesday in prayer at the end, I, I just heard him clearly say, you are mine, just so clearly. And when I heard it, it was not like I had a vision or anything like that, but I almost like could see the words capitalized, you are mine. And, and then when I went to um, find the scripture, of course, it was in Isaiah 43, and the next two verses about him being with us in the fire, him being with us in the flood, uh, were the same ones that Tom had got. So it's just so amazing. So... You know, you try really hard to hear the Lord, and he's shouting it wherever you go. <laughs> it's just like right there, and then you're like, Lord, what do, you, what, what do you want me to say? It's like, I told you, you're mine. And I said, okay, that's three words. <laughs> you are mine. But uh, he gives you more, and I just want to share that hopefully effectively today. But with the, the theme in my heart is that our eyes are turned on him, that in everything that's happening in this world today, that our eyes and our heart are set and gazed on Jesus Christ because there's no one like him. There's, only, there's hope in him. There's no answer for anything that's happening in this world today except for Jesus Christ. I was reading a, a news article that was so sad. Uh, these two uh, Native American in, um, women died from COVID, sisters, uh, just weeks apart from each other. But the saddest part of the whole thing was when her, her son said he couldn't get to her because of the, um, the lockdown where they particularly were in the nation. And he said, but what I did was I, I burnt my sage and I, and, I, and I burnt my powders and I, I took my medicines and I, I did all that so that I could reach my mother when she was on the uh, ventilator so she would hear me. And I said, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us that we actually think that there's still people that really think, and many in this nation, that that's the answer. He is the only answer. He's the only answer. He's the only way. So, Father, we just give you this day, and we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your nation. We thank you that you've placed us here. We thank you that you've blessed us. We thank you for the blessing, the song that we sang, Lord, that you do bless us. Lord, your face does shine upon us, and it's not just for this generation. You're a generational God. You want to see the blessings of this nation flow to our children and the children of those children. Lord God, you want to see the blessings flow, Father God, to a thousand generations in this land. And Lord God, we just come before you today, and we thank you what you're doing. We thank you for this fast. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you, Lord God, that you're pushing back the darkness. When we don't see, you're still moving. And I pray, Father God, that you would just use my mouth for your glory. I pray I would speak your word, not my opinion. I pray, Lord God, I would proclaim your voice, and we would hear, and we would, we would respond, and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. So I'm going to start in Hosea uh, 10, 12, and bounce around quite a bit. For three words, I do have 12 pages, but I talk really fast. So in uh, Hosea 12, uh, 10, 12, it says, Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. His promise is rain, righteous rain. This nation, our lives, our families, our churches have been founded in righteousness, his righteousness. And a lot of that has slipped away, but he's restoring these things. And my heart is that we would focus not on the storm, but his restoration. We don't hear a lot about his restoration, because if you turn on the news, sometimes it's overwhelming. When you hear the things that are happening, it's so overwhelming. And then our gaze turns away from the Lord. We know he's Lord, but we look at these things and we, we can become um, downcast, right? 
We need to see Jesus Christ this morning. So when he says he's coming with rain, he's coming with righteous rain, but all we need to do is break up the fallow ground, break up the ground in our heart, break up the ground in the nation, continue to speak and to prophesy that Jesus Christ is king because his words do go deep. The fate of the nation is really in the hands of God's people. The Lord is blowing the trumpet to his church, rallying us to repentance, to solemn assemblies, to prayer, to fasting, to cry out for mercy. He is a faithful shepherd, and our response to him is always, yes, Lord, we will seek your face. And it's very encouraging that there's people all over this nation, churches all over the nation, doing prayer prayer vigils. They're doing uh, fastings in September. We've been doing one since August 8th. We're on day 23, I count. <laughs> However you're doing that fast, whatever way that you choose, we are fasting and we are praying. And when that happens many times, things do get darker, right? They do get more intense. But we have to see beyond that. We have to look beyond it. What we're looking at is that he is a faithful shepherd who answers our cry. Storm warnings are not given to bring uh, fear, but to prepare. When we see in our, what we see in our streets, what we see coming keeps us focused in prayer. We do serve a God who hears the prayers of his people. We can never, ever forget that. He hears our prayer. And he is for us. He's never against us. We belong to him. Our nation has corruption to the core, and there is a dark side that wants, it, wants to see it emerge as a nation without God, without his ways, without his involvement. That's their agenda. That's the enemy's agenda, but it will not happen. They do not know how foolish they are. The word says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. They can only go so far. The Lord will not, he will not allow it to go any further. It's, it can only go so far. So the enemy's agenda is there is no God. You are God. We are going to change the nation. We're going to bring in, we're going to bring in an antichrist way, right? But we, his people, are still in this nation, Right? You know, Abraham said, if you know, if there's 10, will you spare them, right? Well, look around. God is going to spare his people, but he's been waiting for us, I believe, to arise. So, so the word says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. This nation has been formed for his purposes and glory. So we are in a war of darkness and his light. We are armored up. We have to stay armored up. We're beating our plowshares into swords. I love that scripture. It's in the book of Joel. We see that when a nation was at peace, they were to take their swords and turn them into plowshares, right? A farming implement so that they could start plowing the fields and they could start having peace and they can plant their seeds and they can get on with their life. But this is not a season for that. In Joel 3, 9 through 10, it says, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords, right? It's not the opposite. We're not going to take our swords and turn them into a plowshare. He's saying, take your plowshares now and turn them into swords. And you're pruning hooks into spears. And then he goes, let the weak say, I am strong. The only reason we can say that is because of him. We stand in the power of his might. I know I'm not strong. I can't even open a bottle. I have to give it to my husband all the time. I mean, I have no strength in myself. But when it comes to Jesus Christ and his word, that's where our strength does come from. And that's what we, that's what we proclaim. When we first see the unrest and the violence, the fires, the floods, the shaking, I mean, you name it, it's hard to watch. It's just something new is added every day. We tune it out, <clears throat> but we are, we are to armor up as children of the king and say, I am strong in the power of his might. We do have weapons of war, his word. 
his sword. We declare his lordship with a repentant heart. So sometimes people say, well, we have to do something. We're not doing anything. We have to understand how powerful prayer is. Just one voice before his throne, we need to know how powerful that truly is. You know, Daniel himself saw the things that were coming. One man. And he prayed and he fasted for 21 days. And what happened? The angel came to visit him and said, Daniel, the first day of your fast, the first day you turned to me, I was on my way. I was on my way to help. Isn't that amazing? One person crying out to God from a repentive, pure heart, he hears that cry. We can't let the enemy lie to us or our own soul thinking that it doesn't, it doesn't work, it doesn't do anything. It's the most powerful posture we can have is on our knees with our arms raised, with our heart crying out to God. That's the only thing that's going to turn anything around. We need to continue and not quit. Keep fasting, keep watchful, stay prayerful, knowing that God answers all who seek him. Our nation stands weighed in the balances, and our prayers, our fastings before God is the only answer. The church is arising and praying all over the nation. All over the world, there's a cry coming from his children. There's a returning to him. Times of crisis, we always turn back, consider our ways, crying out for his mercy. Like Esther, we turn to the king for such a time as this. That's why in this song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, I love where it says, Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace. There the Son of God gave his life for us, and our measureless debt was erased. Mercy and justice always embrace. Judgment comes, justice has to prevail, but his mercy is always pursuing us. Mercy always outweighs judgment. And on his children, we are covered in his mercy. We are shielded in his mercy. We are covered in his love. We have to believe this. We have to believe this in this hour that we are his and he's really for us. And the repentance that he cries out for isn't because, isn't because he's angry with us. It's because he's a good, good father, right? He knows how to discipline us, and he's just looking for us just to turn. That's it. And we are turning. We are turning. The nation needs to keep turning. Psalm 80, God's kingdom, just and mercy always embrace. He remembers mercy in times of judgment. Judgment comes because justice has been removed. His laws, his statutes, and his ways have been replaced in many areas of this nation, but he's always a God of mercy to his own. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, it says in Psalm 89. Mercy and truth go before your face. It's time to look at our heart, a time to stir the fire within, a time to fight for the cause of Christ. If there was ever a time to fight for the cause of Christ, it's now, right? So the encouragement this, in, this morning, sounds like I'm yelling, but I'm not. I'm just proclaiming his powerful word to a people that know and agree with me that he is the answer, Right? But the encouragement that he gave me, like I said, was those three words, you are mine. The Lord does not want us shaken or fearful. His boundless love is upon us. Look at his faithfulness in Isaiah 43. But previous, previous to Isaiah 43, you don't have to put this up, but in Isaiah 42, this is what was happening. In the previous chapter, God was outlining the consequences of the sins of Israel and Judah, the refusal to obey the covenant given to captivity. Given to captivity. They were given over to captivity. They refused to turn, but we're not doing that. We are turning. I'm very excited that the church is turning. People are turning. They're being a voice. There's a lot of negative voice, but God is here. He, we, the bride of Christ, that's, I'm excited. I feel like the bride of Christ is really rising up. It doesn't matter what you're doing. doesn't mean you have to carry a, you know, a, po a 
picket sign. You don't have to, you can just be in your house praying. I mean, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for somebody to pray, read your word, come back to him. It's very simple. He's not looking for you to, you know, to become an evangelist or a prophet or all those kinds of things. He's just looking for you to turn to him, hear what he says and do what he's saying at this hour. So Judah and Israel, we know, went into captivity. And in rebuking them for their sins, they're turning away from the Lord to follow after other gods in their own ways. We come to chapter 43. So he disciplines them. He sends them into captivity. These are his people. But then we start to hear hope. We hear the words of encouragement from a God whose heart is always redemptive. We need to understand that God is always redemptive. Just like a father who disciplines his child, it's always redemptive. You never do it because you hate them. It's because you love them, right? It's redemptive. It's redeeming. His heart is always willing and desirous to bless his own. Isaiah 43, as Tom read earlier, it says, For now, but now thus says the Lord your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. I love how he reminds us of that. He formed us. He created us. We belong to him. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. It shows the intimacy that he has with us. He knows our name. It's so amazing. I'm really bad with names. Anybody new that works in the store, I always call them something else. Poor, poor Taylor, I called her for a year. I called her Jordan. But God knows our name. He knows us intimately. He knows us well. And then he says, you are mine. And there's an exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark attached to that. We are his. What does that mean? It means that he's going to take care of us. It means he's going to watch over us. It means he's going to help us. As it was in Israel and Judah, it's in our nation today. But what he promised them, he promises us the fact that we belong to the king. I have redeemed you. You are mine. Sometimes we testify and rejoice over secondary things, the temporary things. We have a new car, a house, a promotion, etc., and those things are blessings from the Lord, and I'm not saying they're bad. They're good. We should rejoice in what he's doing, but what we should really be rejoicing in the fact that he says we belong to him. We have been redeemed. We are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a future. We have a hope. We always have a future, and we always have a hope. We are jewels in the master's hand, precious jewels, that he loves to polish us up, clean us up, and show us off to the world. That's what he does. And the way he shows us off, shows us off is to get his word in our mouth and that we can proclaim to others that they too can become a jewel in the master's house. If we get one thing straight today, I just pray that this fact that we understand and know his declaration to Isaiah the prophet that you are mine. In Isaiah 62.3, it says, You shall be crowned of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. That's what the Lord wants to do in our life. He adds this that um, was already read. He says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the waters, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scourged, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Basically, he was saying to Israel and to Judah, Listen, you are in captivity, and things aren't as well as they were when you were following me. But I'm, I'm going to return you to your own land one day. But in the meantime, as you go through these hard times, you need to understand that you will not be drowned by those waters and you will not be burned by that flame. He is always with us. In Deuteronomy 31, he says, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. Like that blessing song. I love that song. He goes before us and behind us and around us, beside us. It's a, a tremendous blessing. It's really a prayer. You know, sometimes I was thinking as you guys were up there singing, you know, we could just hear that and that's the word of God being preached. Really, uh, the people singing the word of God are preaching to us. 
It's, they're preaching to us, and then we're responding and preaching it back. It's really kind of amazing how God does that. But when we walk through, when we pass through the water, he's with us, and he tells us, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. See, discouragement can come upon us because it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And probably between now and, and the end of the year, things will get even worse. But he's telling us today, even though that's going to happen, I want you not to be afraid. I want you not to be discouraged. For the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you, and he will not abandon you. Isn't that a great promise? It's an amazing promise for us to hold on to. So we often pray to get out of things, and we should, but there are times that we are going to have to go through some things, through a hard time, an earth-shaking time, a protesting season, a hate, hate, division, violence, you name it, it's out there. Wickedness. But God, though he doesn't promise in verse 2 an easy path, he does promise that when the danger comes, when the storm hits, he promises to enable us to stand. We stand in prayer, we stand in his might, we stand, we are not alone. And we also stand in hope, because there's always hope. There's hope that it's going to get better. We need to know it on the inside. We need to understand the consequences of the decisions that we said to the Lord. There's a consequence to sin, right? But there's also a consequence when we said yes to the Lord. When we heard him say to us, follow me, we followed. We've turned to him and forsaken our own old ways. A consequence is really the result or an effect of an action. And when we gave our life to him, there was an effect to our action. A powerful effect happened when we said yes to the Lord. He, in Colossians 1.13, he says he has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. The word power is translated authority. We have been taken out of one authority and given another authority, a greater authority. We have been taken from one position and placed into another position. We were removed from darkness, and now we dwell in light. We were not a people, and now we're a people. What a consequence, right? When we said yes to him, all of that and more came upon us. He declared us his. He claimed ownership. He promised to keep us. He promised peace. He promised strength. He promised to clothe us in, the, in light. That's his armor that we walk in. He promised to provide, to save, to restore, to repair. He promised a future and a hope to not only us, but to our seed, to our seed, to our children and our children's children for every generation. I sing that, all, that song again all the time as a prayer. He's promised for my children and my children and my children's children. I want to see my grandsons have, uh, get married and have children. I want to see their children raise their hands and love the Lord. That is possible. It's not over. It is possible. God is moving in this land. So may his blessings go before you and behind you. It's when I start typing, sometimes a song comes, I just write it down. It was that song. May his blessing go before you and behind you, all around you, to your children and their children and their children. What a power, powerful reality of his truth. That's who our God is. That's why we don't have to be discouraged. There is hope. There is great hope. Don't be discouraged by all you see. Turn your eyes, lift them to the Lord, our King, and hold in your heart the truth of his words. That's what faith is. We don't go by what we see, but we're holding truth in our heart that the King is going to rescue us. And sometimes we don't take it as serious because we really haven't felt the effect as they do in Seattle. We don't have the effect like they do in Boston. I mean, not Boston. God forbid that happens too. In, in um, Portland, right? 
We don't see, we're not in the midst of the cities that are being burned, but we can see them and we need to be praying and we need to be crying out for our brothers and sisters, the people in our nation, right? They're, they're afraid, they're scared, and I don't blame them. I can't imagine looking out the window of my home and having a gang tell me to come out of my house because they're going to take it over. That is so fright, frightening. And so we live in our homes sometimes. We have the peace of God, the protection of God. Thank God. We need to pray that those people know the peace of God. Those, those children of this nation, those children of the king understand that this is really a time of judgment, but God is with you. He's not judging you. He's judging the, the, um, the darkness that is in the nation. We just happen to be in the storm with all of that happening. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nothing. He doesn't promise an absence of the serpents and scorpions, but that it, they will not power, prosper over us. We have the power of God with us. The overcoming one is within us, and his heavenly host, they have been commanded to watch over us, literally commanded. He gives his angels charge over us, it says in the word of God. That word charge is a command, a military command. You're going to take care of TJ's home. You're going to take care of the, uh, the people in this house. You're going to watch over them. I'm sending you to not just to them, but to their children to watch over them and to keep them. A military command to take action. This is the kingdom that we have been translated into. This is part of the result and the consequence of us saying yes to a superior king. Ephesians 6.10 says, to me, this is the, the greatest element of the armor of God. You know, we know we have the helmet of salvation, shield of faith, and we read through that and we put it on, we walk in it. But the greatest part of this armor is the very first um, sentence. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's not looking for us to, to work out and to be strong. He's just looking for us to trust him and to be with him and to proclaim him. He's a mighty God. He is able. He holds all things together. He's high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. And we don't see that sometimes. We don't focus on that sometimes. So when Israel wandered, the enemies came in. Pestilence, drought, famine, earthquakes. It happened all the time. Captivity. Read any Old Testament book, and God's heart is revealed. He brings judgment. They brought judgment because of their sin. But then he starts to cry out, return to me. It doesn't have to be like this, right? Return to me. He's always wanted intimacy. He's always wanted our hearts. He's always desired faithfulness. Return and I will restore. And, you know, I, I thought to myself, I don't care what anybody thinks about um, uh, the president, our now president. I have never, ever seen a president proclaim Jesus Christ so boldly as he does. I've never seen prayer going on in the White House like it is today. They are men and women who are crying out to Jesus Christ to do something different in this nation. And that's why all hell is breaking loose against them. That's why there's so much hate, because the enemy knows we have an enemy. He knows that the plan and the plot that he's been scheming is about to fall apart because his people are praying and fasting. He knows the word. Every time it happened in the Old Testament, they took to their knees, they cried out, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and what happened? The enemy was pushed back. And so that hate is getting stronger because the enemy is about to be diffused, right? So when Israel wandered, that's what happened. And in Lamentations 3, it says, examine yourself, look, you know, return to me. It says in Hosea, he says to examine ourselves, draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. And that's what we're doing as a people. We're drawing near to him again. 
The battle we are in cannot be won in words unless the word of God is being declared in prayer. It can't be won in conversation or debates. The action has to be in prayer and fasting. That is what pushes the darkness back. That is what brings people to their knees. It's an hour to battle in the power of his might. The Lord is looking for his people who are called by his name to pray. He's looking for them to turn back to him with an undivided heart. And I believe in the last month, months, that's exactly what's been happening. Prayer is going forth. Hearts are turning. He's hearing us and he's responding. We do not see all that he's doing, but he is answering prayers. When God is silent, when it does, it does not mean that he's stagnant. It doesn't indicate inactivity. He never stops, like that song. He never stops, never, 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 never stops. But waymaker, right? He's always doing something as he hears us cry. He's fortifying. He's resetting. He's redeeming. But we are not out of the stormy season yet. We must continue with fervent prayer and stay alert, armored up. He wants to encourage us this morning with the truth and the commitment that he has to us that we are truly his. And because we're his, he's going to watch over us even in a greater way. When the Lord says, you are mine, he wants us to be comforted. He wants us to trust him. If, as he judges the unrighteous foundations, he wants us to judge him. He wants us to cling to him and to be at peace in the storm. Isaiah 54.10 says that the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace will not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. He's saying the greatest earthquake can take place in your backyard, but my covenant of peace is going to be there. It's really hard to believe, right? But in a time of crisis, he does bring peace. It's a supernatural peace. It's not something you can think of in your mind. How can it be? You, you, you can't, you can't um, logically try to figure it out. You need to know that we serve a supernatural God who has supernatural weapons and supernatural ways, and his peace is going to come upon his people. He wants to give us hidden manna and fire from his altar. It won't be received if we are busy and distracted. It won't come if we don't take his counsel. In the book of Revelation, he adjusts his churches. And I want to point this out in the, in the contents, what it means that we are his. When he says you are mine, that means we're going to be adjusted. We're going to be blessed, but we're going to be adjusted. But it's a powerful, powerful picture of the heart of God, if you just bear with me. I want to read Revelation ch uh, chapter 3. Um, in 18, but there is a one scripture that says, you are not hot, and you're not cold, I'm going to spew you out of your mouth. I'm not focusing on that. Uh, God is not saying to us today, you're not neither hot nor cold. I want to show you the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus Christ, that he is so concerned about his churches, he never gives up. He never gives up on us. No matter where we are, he never, ever, ever gives up. So in, um, let's see, I lost the, I lost where I was, I'm sorry. Hidden manna. Okay, in the book of Revelation, he adjusts his churches. Every one of those churches, except Philadelphia, were rebuked and corrected to some degree because they belong to him. He watches over his word to perform it. He wasn't finished with them. He warns and he gives counsel. We need his counsel. We need to do what he says. That's why it's not a time for big gatherings. It's not time church is normal because we want to know, God, what are you saying? You know, where have we missed it? What are you looking for in us? What is it that, you know, you want to do differently? And he's been doing, and he's been showing us that since the beginning of the lockdown. He's saying, come in for a little while, hide with me, spend time with me. It's not church as normal. He's been doing all those things, and he continues to do those. But if we didn't take the time to listen to him, if we started fighting other battles in that time, you would miss what the Lord was saying. He's like, I just want you to get counsel from me. I'm confident in this very thing, Philippians 1.16 says, that he who began a work in you will perfect it till the day of Christ Jesus. So he's not going to leave us where we are. He's going to bring us to the full maturity of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. We need the correction of the Lord. 
I say, I think the Lord loves me more than anybody because I always felt like I was being corrected by everything. You know, every time I'd walk away, you shouldn't have talked like that. Every time I walk away, you shouldn't have spoke like that. You shouldn't have given that, whatever it is. I felt like I was always being corrected. But thank God, when that leaves us, I think we're in danger. But it's always in love, never condemnation. The enemy condemns, the Lord convicts. We have a good father who translated us into his kingdom and has made us ambassadors of his kingdom. But we are at times entwined with the kingdoms of this world. In this hour, more than ever, people need the Lord. We have words of life. We carry hope. We carry his spirit. And he wants to refresh the weary and build up the broken. We have to be people of hope. In, in order to do that, to be people of hope, we have to spend time with him, and we have to see him above the storm. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. We have There's a storm, but then there's Jesus. He's above all of it, and that's what we have to proclaim. I was thinking, you know, Job's friends. I always make f- fun of uh, Job's friends because they really didn't uh, encourage him at all. All they did was uh, pull him down, pull him down, pull him down. You're being judged, you're being judged, you're being judged, right? When you read, it's a long, long uh, book to read. But in Job uh, 32, it says, um, Elihu, who was the only one who had the counsel of the Lord, the one who gave the right counsel to Job, he was angry with the friends of Job. And this is why. His anger burned against the three friends because they had found no answer and yet condemned Job. See, God, when he counsels us, he doesn't leave us with no answer. He's like, well, you need to adjust this. You're, you're a little worldly this way, or you shouldn't be doing this, or you shouldn't be doing that. You're too distracted. Whatever it is that he's saying to us, he doesn't do it without hope. He, then he goes, and here's the answer I have for you. This is what I want you to do. Wake up maybe 10 minutes earlier in the morning and spend some time with me. You know, it's never hard. He's just looking to adjust us to get that out of us. So we have to be people of hope to say, listen, things are going bad. But God is for us, and he's never against us. We're going to take the counsel of the Lord, because he's always doing something for our benefit. Um, Let me go here. So you are mine. In Revelations 3, the church of Laodicea, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just parts of it. Laodicea, to begin with, was a banking center. It was famous medical school. Was special, was specialized in eye problems. They were a very wealthy, wealthy city. They started the city. Actually, the church started there with revival fires. They were burning for the Lord. They built a church. They were the church, like the church and like the New Testament church. They had the fire of God. They had the heart of God. They had passion for Jesus Christ. Out of their mouth was Jesus. They looked at Jesus and talked Jesus and lifted their eyes to Jesus. That's the church that they were. But they lived in a place of much wealth. They had, like I said, a a famous medical center. uh, And it was proven, if you read documents and historical documents around it, that they literally had an ISAB. Um, Actually, when I was making my little concoctions, I thought, I wonder if I can find out what that powder was (laughs) to make this uh, ISAB. But anyway, they had this ISAB, and people came from all over, and and it healed different eye ailments. And they had um, great textile, great industry. And most of the, the cities back then... They might have like just a few shops, maybe 400 shops, according to Rick Renner. But this one had four different large markets, like outside malls. And within that mall was 4,500 different stores. 4,500. And so at that time, you know, you're talking a very wealthy place. It was a banking center. So then we, I, the reason I'm saying this is important because later on he tells them to buy ISAB from him, to buy gold from him because the banking center, they had gold. It was precious. And so the things that he tells them to change in a textile industry, it's so funny how Jesus talks to us right where we live. He's like, listen, I know that, you, you know, you think, you know, you have gold, but I have better gold. 
So that's why I'm saying, uh, just giving a background there. So we see a self-sufficient church in Laodicea. They had whatever they needed, so they mistakenly thought that they were leaning on the Lord, embracing the Lord, but they actually pushed him out of the church building and pushed him out of their hearts. Their prosperity and freedom in the world around them became a great deception, and so they no longer had anything for those that came into the house. There was no more salvations. There wasn't anything happening. They were just pretty much like having a church service, but just being like everybody else. And I say this not for our church, but I just see America is like this. The Lord has blessed our nation. And many times we can be so involved in the riches and the prosperity of it, we forget who actually blessed us. We forget who actually put his hand of blessing on here and what it was for. So this church was birthed in revival fires, the baptism of his spirit. They were bold and had a passion for the Lord, their salvation, and their hope. But their comfort of their rich lifestyle turned their hearts complacent. But when Jesus walked among them, as he does in the churches, in the beginning of Revelations, I love how it says that Jesus walks among the lampstands. I love that because what he's saying is I walk amongst every single church. I hear what you're saying. I write down what you're saying. I hear when you proclaim me, and I, and I walk around not to look for um, bad things that you're saying. I look to see where you are, where's your heart, where's your mindset. I look to see if my bond servants are there. I look to see if prayer is there. I look to see if there's fire in your heart. See, he walks among us. He's not just in heaven. You know that song I hate? Oh, that song, you know, from a distance. You know that song? You know, God is watching from a distance. It's just not true. He is up close and personal. He walks amongst the churches. So as he walked amongst the church, this is what he says to them. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this. I love how he announces himself. We might not declare him that way, but he's like, if you're not going to, I'm going to. I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness. I'm the beginning of all creation. I know your deeds that they're neither hot nor cold. I wish that they were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and I, am, and I have become wealthy. See, he heard them say that. You say this, that you have become wealthy and we need of nothing. You do not even realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor and blind and naked. So he brings their words back to them. But here is where we see the heart of Jesus. And this is really what I want to focus on, not the spewing out, because he's merciful to us. That's not who I'm saying we are. But there is counsel in this church that I think that we can grab hold of, great counsel, counsel from the Lord. So the commitment to his children, he is the great physician who not only gives accurate diagnoses, but also brings healing. He gives the balm of Gilead. He gives them true counsel to recover and to recover quickly. When the Lord says turn and you turn, guess what? There is no uh, reaping what you sow time. That's not true. You, it's like you never left. He doesn't remember. He forgives you and you move on. So he wasn't like, he's not like Job's friends who condemn and give you no hope. And this is what he says to them. I love this. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may, come, so that you may become rich because the wealth that you have now is not really wealth. And white garments, buy those for me so that you may clothe yourself and that your shame and your nakedness will be not be revealed. And buy my eye salve and let me anoint your eyes so that you may see. Here's his counsel. Buy gold, buy white garments, and buy eye salve. But it has to be from him. 
Buy from me refined gold. Remember, they were a banking center. Gold was the greatest, most valuable commodity in their time. But Jesus, in his great wisdom and insight, and in his love and goodness, is saying, forget the things that you have been spending money on. Forget your gold. You need my gold. And it's not just raw gold. You know, if you're, if you're a, a treasure hunter, you look for that gold, right? The raw gold. I've never found any, but you find it raw. But he's like, you're not even, you know, yours is in the raw state. Mine's purified. It's been purified in the fire. It's the best gold. It's the greatest gold. It's, it's a gold that will satisfy you and take care of you all the days of your life. That's the gold that you need, the finest gold, the purest, the best. It's not in the raw state, but refined in the fire to a state of purity. You will be spiritually rich. See, the Lord is looking for us to be spiritually rich. He's not against us having things and being blessed, but he has to be the center. He has to be the center of everything, right? He has to be the one who's in charge. And then he goes, you will carry my treasure within you to pour out to the world. You'll have true riches, but you need to come to me to buy this gold. The second thing he tells them is to buy white garments. They were a textile industry, finest colored fabrics, but they couldn't cover their nakedness. He says you need white garments, a covering that the enemy will recognize, a covering of robes washed in the blood of the lamb. I just, I love that too. Washed in the blood of the lamb. See, when the enemy looks at you, he doesn't see what you and I see. When Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see what, what we see. But when the enemy looks, he knows who belongs to the king. He knows who's in the kingdom. He knows who's been translated into the kingdom of light. He recognizes it, and he sees those white garments that really appear to be light because it's been washed in the blood of the lamb. In Revelations twenty-two fourteen, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of that city. I can't wait for that day. We are going to be dressed in white dressed in white, not because of us, but because of his faithfulness to us as his children when we said yes to him. And then he goes, buy from me, I salve to anoint your eyes. What you have in the city may work on cataracts and infections, but you're still blind. Buy from me and I will anoint your eyes and you will see. That's why we can't get upset with people that don't understand. There's such a division right now, right, of light and dark. Your words aren't going to make a difference. You're not going to get through to your, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, the ones that are at odds with you, it only because their eyes are blinded. They haven't, they haven't, um, they haven't bought that eye salve from the Lord, right? But we can pray that their eyes would be clear. We can pray that that be lifted, that they see him, and then they come into the fullness of Christ. So you don't want to waste your words and arguments. We have to understand that it has to be. It's a spiritual eyesight that only God can do in spiritual ways. So by, I will anoint your eyes. What you have in this city may work on all those things, but you're still blind. I want, you will see above the trial when I anoint your eyes. You'll see above the storm, you'll see me. You will see the urgency of the hour. You will see the working of the enemy. You'll not be blind sighted anymore. I will show you eternity. I will re reveal my glory. But you need my anointing oil upon your eyes, of the spirit of your heart. And that's what we need. We need him to put that anointing oil on the eyes of our heart. And guess what? He says we are his. And that's what he's doing. So that's why it's an encouraging word. And he goes, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I think sometimes we have the wrong uh, picture of the word repent. We think it's like a hell and brimstone message, but it's not. It's an adjustment. And when he says to be zealous, to be desirous, it's the same word when he says desire spiritual gifts. He's saying be zealous to repent. So we want the fullness of God in our life. That's why we're zealous to repent. And it's like this, oh, Lord, I'm going to turn back to you. I shouldn't have done that. It's that fast. It's that easy. 
So God's mercy is just to turn back. Return with your whole heart. I'll forgive your sins. And I won't even remember your faithlessness. He's not going to remember that we wore different colored clothes. He's not going to remember that we didn't wear that, the white garment. He just takes, he just runs to us and grabs us. And then he goes, this is the most exciting scripture of all right here. My favorite for today. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him. And he will be with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on the throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And he says to every single church the same thing. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, sometimes we listen with our, um, with our mind's ear. We process everything. We intellectualize. But the Lord is saying you need to listen with the true ear, the ear of the Spirit. You need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. He's not going to come in, a, a, in that other form. He's going to come, and you're going to be challenged. You're going to be like, I sense something different. I think he is real. You start to have these thoughts and have these understandings, and, and he opens your ear to what he's saying to the churches. We need to hear exactly what the Spirit of God is saying. And when he says, if you do this, you will overcome, that word actually means perpetually overcome. You're going to perpetually be overcomers until I come and take you home. So what it's, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Here Jesus was in the street on the outside of the church. Think about this. We always use this scripture for um, salvation. You know, we say to somebody, you know, you want to give to your heart to the Lord because he's standing at the door and he's knocking. He's knocking. He wants you to give, give your heart to him. And that's, that's true. That's a good thing to say. But it's not really what was happening here. He was standing at the door of the church. He was outside in the streets knocking on a locked door. His house that was built in fire, that was built on the blood of Jesus Christ, that was built on his cross, all of a sudden had really gotten lukewarm and complacent, but he didn't say, forget you, I'm done with you, I'm walking away from you. That's not who our God is. He's like, I'm going to keep knocking and knocking and knocking, because the word knock here in the Hebrew actually means to incessantly beat on a door, to constant, con constant, continual, relentless knocking, nonstop pounding, to implore one to open the door, nonstop knocking and pounding. Isn't it amazing? So that's what God is doing for us. It's like, I'm going to keep knocking, I'm going to keep knocking, I'm going to keep knocking. I just need you to open it a crack. Open your heart a crack to me, and I'm going to come in like a flood. A flood of my presence is going to come and overtake you. That's great repentance. This is great repentance. This is not downhearted. This is good. This is like God saying, listen, you're going to get more of me than you ever dreamed or imagined. You know, you know, sometimes the Lord will give me like a visual of what I'm thinking about to preach on. And for some reason, I don't know why I did this, but I was on the front porch and I came in the house and I'm in the kitchen. I hear a doorbell ringing, 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 ringing. I'm thinking, why isn't Jimmy, you know, helping whoever's on the front porch? Because he was just out there with me. And then at first I didn't hear it really, you know, at first. And maybe it was only, I don't know, wasn't even a full minute. But I remember my mind not hearing it at first. And I'm like, is that the door? And I ignored it. Well, Jimmy's out there and I ignore it. Well, when I went over there, I locked him out. It was him. It was him knocking on the door. It was him ringing the bell. And I'm like, why? Do, I don't even know why I locked it. I really don't know why I even locked it. I just walked in. I just locked the door. But I thought, thank you, Lord, because that's a picture. We don't even understand. We don't even realize that we've locked the door to the Lord. We don't, under, we don't realize it. And God in his mercy knows that. He knows how we are. 
And he's like, but just like Jimmy, and he was so, I said, oh, I'm really sorry. He goes, you know, he's like, that's okay. He wasn't upset. I thought, you know, I would probably be like, you know, what'd you do that for, you know? But he, you know, he's more merciful and he did not. So anyway, it was a, it was a good picture of what we can do as a church. And it was a good picture to see God's mercy and grace. It's like this. And Luke, remember the story of the prodigal son? Just as the father saw his prodigal son a far way off, he didn't run into the house when he saw him, lock the door and say, you made your bed and you, you have to lie in it. Many fathers would have done that for what he, what he had done. We're not going to go through the whole story. He didn't do that. He would go looking for his son. He would go looking, and he was hoping to see him. And when he finally saw him, he ran after it, him, it says. He fell on his neck and tackled him. They fell to the ground. I mean, it says he ran to his son. As soon as he saw him far off, as soon as he saw a shadow, as soon as he saw a crack in the door, see, that's what the Lord does. And he just comes in for the kill. He comes in to grab you back. He comes in to soak you in his presence. And so he tackles this son. And what does it say about him? It says that he puts a ring on his finger. That means he restored his authority to his household. And then he says he put, he put a, um, a sandals on his feet. So his walk was going to be different. He put a robe on him representing the white garments washed in the blood of the lamb. He was forgiven. His nakedness was covered. He was no longer that prodigal son, right? He was found. And so now he stands in full position of authority in his kingdom. And that's what he did, the Lord does for us in, in, um, in Laodicea. That's what he does. He's knocking, 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 knocking. They open it up, open it up and he just comes right in. But guess what? He comes in with his gold, he comes in with his garments, and he comes in with his eye salve so that we won't be blind anymore. He's an amazing God. You have to say amen to that. that it was, he is an amazing, amazing God. This is, this is truly the love of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians it says, I pray you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. And so when Jesus stood outside that door and they opened to him, they were filled with the fullness of God. That's what he's going to do for us. And when we're filled with fullness, good things are going to happen on the earth. So Jesus is pounding on that door. All he needs is a small crack and he will overtake us. He wants to access our hearts and to his church. What does he use to pound on that door? It's his voice. He keeps calling. He keeps speaking over and over and over till, like he did with Tom. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. When you walk through the waters, I'll be there. He's been saying it and saying it and saying it. He's been saying, there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. Prepare. But I'm with you, right? He keeps saying the same thing over and over and over. With his voice, he calls us. With his voice, he corrects us. With his voice, he brings us back. This is an amazing picture of the American, American church and what is possible for us to come back to the ways and the righteousness that we first stood on. But even if America doesn't, and I believe they will, we are as a people. And that's all that matters. God's people, they, we are saying yes to Jesus Christ. So as a people and as a nation, we have closed him out, but we want him to return. He is passionate about his people. Be encouraged he is doing something in our day. He is preparing his bride Continuing in Isaiah, it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servants in whom I have chosen. He's actually chosen us. It's always blown me away that he would choose me 
because I know me, so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me, there is no other God form. There's, no, there's none other, and there never will be. I am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. He's saying, I am all you need. I am enough. I have chosen you. But he says that we are his witnesses. And then he adds, I act, and who can reverse it? When God makes a decision to act on something, powers of darkness can't take it back. When he makes a decision who's going to be president, nobody can take it back. When he makes a decision how we're supposed to operate and move in, in the Lord, how we're going to pray and how we're going to fast, that's not going to be changed. He's going to answer our prayers and he's going to do what he's called us to do. Do you know in Ezekiel 9, this really, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's a wonderful picture of a time of judgment. And in that time of judgment, uh, you can read the whole story yourself. It's a very sad one. The glory of the Lord left the temple. But when the city was being judged, the Lord said, he, he said, the Lord said, go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations were, which are being committed in this place. To the others, he said, go through the city after them and to strike them and take them down. Meaning, if you belong to the Lord, your mark is on us. See, you're marked. So when the waters come and the floods come, that's why he says, don't be, don't be afraid. Because there's, there's powers that you can't see that see who you are and who you belong to. That's very comforting. It's very comforting. And so that's what the Lord does to protect his children. So finishing up, the Lord is doing something in our day. If our eyes are on the storm, we will miss it. When our eyes are turned to Jesus, when our eyes are anointed by him, we will see beyond. He has a secret weapon against the chaos and the darkness, and it's not in another evangelist, it's not the newest preacher or another Christian station promoting the strength of men. It's someone with his authority, someone who has their eyes anointed so that they now see who he is and who they are. He has, he has been preparing them in the storm. It's his body, the body of Christ. It's not a foot, it's not a hand, it's not a mouth, but it's the whole body fitted together. It's the bride of Christ. I believe the Lord's been waiting for this hour for the bride of Christ to rise up in all her glory, which is really his glory, because we are his witnesses. It's you and me finally rising in all his glory. Just as Esther rose in a time of great trouble, a time of life or death, so we, his bride, are raised up for such a time as this. And when I say such a time as this, I'm talking about the prayer, what we do in, the, in our prayer closet, what Esther did, we are doing, right? What Daniel did, we are doing. We are chosen for such a time as this. The enemy didn't count on the church ever rising again. I think he was really happy with his puppet preachers and prosperity messages and just the dullness that came over uh, the land. He didn't really count on or understand that Jesus Christ was going to complete what he started. He didn't understand that what he saw as a weak bride, covered in dirt and filth, covered by the world, he didn't understand that Jesus Christ himself was going to come in, knock on their heart, he was going to, they were going to open the door, and they were going to be filled with his gold and his salves and his, and his white garments. He didn't count on that. He didn't count on the commitment of Jesus Christ to do anything in our life. Um, but here we are responding to the discipline and responding to his love, and we're going to keep responding. He raised up Esther. He chose her, prepared her. Then he placed her in the palace. He put a crown on her head, and he gave her favor with the king so his people would be spared. It's always about the people. It's always about others. It's always about those who are lost, those who are desperate, not just us. 
and he's raising up his church again. The Esthers, the body of Christ, are separated. The ones called out. That's the ecclesia, right? The called out ones. He has been preparing us, revisiting our hearts, knocking on the doors of his church and our hearts, and we must continue to let him in. We are saying yes to his gold refined in the fire. We have purchased white garments from him, and he has healed our eyesight. And we pray that prayer not even knowing what it means. For three weeks I've been praying this, not even knowing. Lord, I don't even know what this means, but I want your gold. I want your eyes have. You know, I, you have a little picture of it. I want those white garments. Whatever that means, I want it. If you're saying, if you're counseling me to do this, then I'm going to do it. And then as you do it, it gives you more understanding and more revelation. He has crowned our heads, his bride. He's crowned our heads and anointed us. We carry his authority and the fire from the altar is starting to burn again as we have discarded the emptiness of the world. Don't you feel it? The fire from the altars is coming again. When we sang that song, Take Me Past the Outer Courts, we're going back into that holy place, right? Where he takes the coal, he cleanses our lips. That's what we want. We want the purity. There's nothing like the presence and the fire, the pure fire of God. We carry in our vessels the oil of gladness. We need to understand we always have to bring hope. It's the oil of gladness. We have hope for the broken, hope for the lost, hope for those who are discouraged. We're saying, listen, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God's good. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I know God's with us. That's the oil of gladness for a broken and bruised nation. We will reflect his glory and give him all honor. As we rise, the nation will rise, and I believe that. As the church arises, everything changes in her path. Even in a household, as you arise, as the church arises, as you begin to proclaim him and he is king, you're in your house, then everything changes in your house, right? You raise him up in your workplace, then everything changes in that workplace. Because when Christ arises, when I, if you lift me up, I'll draw all men to myself. So when the church arises, the nation will rise. Jesus will tear down and he will rebuild. Righteousness will be, will be restored to his house and, the, and in the nations. So when he says, do not fear, for I've redeemed you, I have called you by name and you are mine, we need to understand that all of this is part of that. The discipline, the promises, the correction, the faithfulness to us, all of this is, means you're mine and I'm not going to stop. When you pass through the waters, the storms that are coming, remember he is with you. And you go through the rivers, the floods of trouble, his bride stands. The flames that burn, they will not scorch you just like they didn't um, in Daniel's day. We keep trusting him. We keep yielding to him. We keep praying. We keep fasting. We keep overcoming. Uh, we keep our heart right before him. We let God arise and his enemies will be scattered. But for his children, his own, we embrace him. We need to cling to him. Remember like in Habakkuk, you know, those of you who come on a Tuesday night, in Habakkuk, he had a serious time like we have today. And he sought the Lord and he sought the Lord. And the Lord showed him what he was going to do. He started out crying out for, for justice, but at the end of the three chapters, he was crying for mercy. He was asking for God's mercy. And when you ask for God's mercy, it's a repentiveness. You're asking for his mercy. You're not being strong in yourself. You're saying, God, be merciful to us. And the name Habakkuk, when I looked it up, actually means to embrace. It's embracing God in a time of trouble. It's holding on to him and not letting go. In the storm, you're clinging to him. He's your life jacket, right? He is the one. He's your lifeboat. He's everything. He's your, he's your, um, he's your, um, I can't think of the word. But anyway, you're in, anyway, a, it was a rescue thing. Anyway, that's who he is. He's everything. He rescues us. He's everything. But we need to cling to him. We need to embrace him. 
It's not by our strength, but it's his power and his great love. For those who have not yielded to his discipline and for those who, uh, I just need to let you know that there's still time. There's those who are still hard. There's still the people who are questioning. People are having a hard time going through the, the COVID thing and coming out, and they're, they're not fully coming in. And for all those people, maybe just listening on the podcast, don't think that, it, that you've wasted time. Even if you wasted time, you can still open that door, right? You can still open the door and say, Lord, come in and change me. There's always time. For those of you who have not prepared your heart, you've just been kind of bitter. You've just been kind of angry. You've just been in a funk because you're just not happy with the things, the way the things are working out. You need to trust him. God's doing something in this season and he's calling his people in. He's calling them into the inner courts. He's calling them in to hear his voice and to receive his counsel and to receive his treasures. And as we do that, we are going to arise. So don't let the enemy lie to you. There's always time to come to the Lord, to receive his refined fire. Cry out, say, wash me. I want to do whatever you want to do. I want to be whiter than snow. Anoint my eyes. I want to dine with you. That was his promise. He goes, when you open the door, guess what? I'm going to come in and dine with you. I'm going to share my heart with you and you with me. That's an intimacy, an intimacy. That's what he used. You just open that door. I'm going to come in and sup with you. I'm going to have a meal with you, and it's going to be a special meal. We're not going to talk about what you did wrong. We're going to talk about everything that I've done right. And that's turning our eyes to Jesus.